And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is the travel show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome. I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be discussing travel. And that's a conversation you can get into. As I've said before on this show, we've had guests who have emailed us. Either they've asked a travel question, which we featured, or they are a travel expert themselves, and we've had them on the show. So if you'd like to be one, my email address is is fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. Fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. But even if you don't want to be a guest, we don't want you to be a stranger. There are so many ways to stay in touch with us during the week. First and foremost is our website, fromers.com, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com. There's so much to see and do on that website that's fun. If you're traveling or even if you're not traveling, we've got a lot about culture, about history, about cuisine, about how to get a refund or how to travel virtually. Uh, It's a lot of fun, as are our social media feeds. So do follow us on Twitter, on Instagram, on Pinterest, on Facebook. All you need to do is key in the word Fromers and you'll find us. Now, as I've said before, we're doing this show a little differently than we did in the past. That's because travel is a little different. A lot of people aren't traveling right now for pretty obvious reasons. So instead of focusing on the how-tos of travel, we are talking to great travelers about their past in the hopes that we can inspire everybody for their future travels. And boy, do we have an inspiring guest next. His name is Lee Abamonti, and he was one of the youngest people. In fact, when he, he set the record for the youngest person to visit every country on this planet a couple of years back. I think the record has been broken. We'll find out from Lee. But welcome, Lee. Nice to speak with you. Thanks for appearing on the Travel Show. You too, guys. Always a pleasure. And I hope everyone's uh, well and safe in this crazy time. Yeah. Oh, and let me just say, for anybody listening in, we do tape this a little bit in advance. So it's May 20th right now. Uh, we know this will be first appearing in June, uh, but we hope that the info will still be interesting. So, so Lee, give me a little bit of your story. What did it take to become the youngest man to visit every single country in the world? And then after that, I want to hear, has your record been broken? Sure. Um, it was kind of by accident, really, that I ended up doing this. I never traveled as a kid. I, I was never introduced to travel. I uh, did a study abroad in uh, 1998 in London, and that kind of changed everything for me. And, you know, I was working a regular job on Wall Street, and I did pretty well. And when I had opportunities, I would I would take the time and go travel to uh, kind of regions. And I would visit, you know, four or five, six places in a couple weeks. And uh, I just loved it. It was just fun for me. And then back in 2006, I found out actually there was a uh, record to be the youngest person to go to every country. And I was around 100 countries at the time without really trying, to be honest. And uh, then I just kind of took inventory of time and money and just decided to go for it. I I never thought I would go to places like Somalia and Chad, etc. But uh, 
you know, it, it makes for, for interesting stories for sure. Oh, absolutely. But it couldn't have been easy. I mean, there are certain countries that you can't fly to directly. What, what was the most difficult country to take off your list? Um, the most difficult country for me in terms of, uh, I'll say, bureaucracy, like visas, was Angola at the time. Although now they actually have visa on arrival. But um, 10 years ago, for me, that was the, uh, the most difficult one. That in Saudi Arabia and North Korea. Uh, I think those three for sure. Uh, wow. And in terms of just difficult difficulty to get to, probably the small Pacific nation of Nauru. Because back in the day, there was only one flight a week there which meant that you would have to spend a week on Nauru, which is uh, not the most exciting place in the world. Let's just say. <laughs> I can't even, what is, I, what is Nauru like? Um, it's a very small island. Uh, it's actually 17 miles circumference. So you can actually just walk or bike or run the island in a couple hours. And uh, literally there's not much there. There was a big phosphate mine back in the seventies, but they ran it dry. So basically now they're just running on uh aid money from uh, from Australia who operate a uh, detention center there. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Wow. <laughs> so you felt like you were in detention a little bit, I, I would assume. Pretty much, way. yeah. <laughs> but you went to some pretty dangerous places, too. How long did you spend in North Korea? Uh, North Korea, I was there for three nights, so four days. I was actually there for my uh, 31st birthday, which was uh, <laughs> an interesting birthday. And I actually spent my uh, uh, another birthday in Libya. Uh, during wow. the, the Arab Spring War in uh, 2011. And um, that was actually my uh, 193rd country. So I actually finished my list in Libya and some of the other places like Somalia and Iraq and Iran and uh, Syria, Yemen. You know, I've been to all those for a couple of days each. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely uh, a little hair raising, but um, it makes for good stories in hindsight. <laughs> well, what were the stories? I mean, how did you say, stay safe on your birthday in North Korea? Did you get a cake? <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't get a cake, oh. but uh, they did actually have Heineken beer. So I had a, I did have Heineken uh, on my birthday. That's really all I remember in terms of eating and drinking, because everything else is kind of like in-house with no real labels or at least no discernible labels. Um, actually, in uh, in Libya, I actually uh, got shot at. Uh, oh. I got caught in a crossfire between the Libyan rebels and some Chinese smugglers at the border with Egypt because I was trying to essentially go in the back door. Um, because the rebels had seized control of Eastern Libya at the time. And uh, just through no fault of my own, just, well, I mean, I was in a war zone, of course, so I guess it was my fault, but um, <laughs> got caught in the crossfire and uh, my car actually got hit a couple times. Wow. So that was kind of terrifying. And then uh, eventually I did get in and had an amazing experience in Libya. But yeah, getting shot at was definitely a memorable birthday. <laughs> what was amazing about being in Libya during a war zone, I have to ask? It, it was great because the, the guy who kind of smuggled me in, it was him and his brother, um, and they just treated me like their brother, and they, they treated me like their family. And the guy who was sort of in charge of me getting in uh, was, a, was a UN uh, dissident, and he hadn't been home in 41 years. And then he basically took me in with his family we hadn't seen in 41 years oh and uh, just treated me like one of the family. So uh, if the question is, what are the nicest people in the world or where have you been treated the best? The answer is Libya. And that surprises a lot of people. I've never met nicer people. Yeah. Wow. We are speaking with Lee Abamanti. You can hear more of his story if you go to his website, leeabamanti.com. He was the youngest man ever to go to every country in the world. So I got to ask, was your record broken? Uh, yeah, it was broken. And, uh, you know, it's it's a different world now. Like people are like, um, 
you know, more people are doing it. Like when I did it, I think only about 65 or 70 people in history had ever done it. And huh. uh, now, uh, you know, I kind of uh, made it popular, to be honest. I was like the first person to really do it publicly and on social media and with a website and uh, started doing television and things like that, like promoting it. And now there's uh, been a couple hundred people who have done it now. So the, the numbers have gone up by three or four fold and there's a lot of other people trying. So a lot of people now are like quitting their jobs, younger people and, and crowdsourcing money and, you know, getting sponsors ahead of time, which is madness to me. But um, it's it's a different world these days. Well, we'll see. I mean, now post COVID, uh, yeah, yeah. the numbers may different. drop again uh, of people who are doing this. Are there places where you have that you fell in love with that you've then gone back to? Oh, yeah. I've been to, uh, of the uh, 193 countries, I think I've been to 138 of them more than once. So wow. uh, so I love uh, going back to a lot of places. I mean, I go back to, you know, the Western European nations, obviously a lot in Canada, Mexico, but uh, places like South Africa, um, New Zealand, Australia, Argentina, those places have really uh, won me over. Ethiopia is another one that I absolutely adore and have been to, you know, eight, 10 times, something like that. And uh, I just keep going back to those places because they offer so much from, you know, great food and cities and culture to amazing nature. And I love hiking and, and, and natural uh, beauty. Uh, for our listeners, most of whom I would guess have not been to Ethiopia, what are the lures there? Well, number one, Ethiopia is a really interesting country in terms of culture. It's uh, it's very Italian and it has a lot of Italian influence. They have the best coffee in the world. They have wow. great Italian food. They have very beautiful people. And uh, that said, they have some of the most incredible natural things uh, from the Danakil Depression to... What is uh, the Danakil Depression? It's it's uh, this place that smells like sulfur and... Um, <laughs> It, it requires a couple of days hike and it's, it's one of the more unique landscapes in the world. And that's in uh, northern Ethiopia, also the uh, Simeon Mountains. And then, of course, you know, in terms of biblical history, uh, Axum and Lalibela, which is said to potentially be the, uh, the home of the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, Lalibela is one of the most incredible places I've ever seen. And I, I couldn't recommend a place more. And in terms of African capitals, but before, Ababa, we leave, before we leave Lalabella, that's where they have those churches that were correct. hewn out of solid rocks, right? Yeah. You've never seen anything like it. It's just like these, like you said, these massive rock hewn churches in the ground and uh, you go in them and they're just one massive piece of rock and, and they're, they're carved so intricately. It's just incredible to see and experience, uh, you know, history. We have to take our first break. Uh, but for anybody tuning in late, we're speaking with Lee Abamanti. You can visit him on his website, leeabamonte.com. Uh, he it was one of the youngest people ever to go to every single country in the world. We're talking about the best of those countries and maybe some of the scariest earlier. But don't turn that dial. We'll be back with more of The Travel Show after these messages. You're listening to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer. On the line is my dad, 
Arthur Fromer, and our guest for part of this hour is Lee Abamanti. He was one of the youngest men to ever go to every single country on the planet. You can find out more about his story at leeabamanti.com. Lee, I know that you not only went to every country on the planet, you've also gone a lot to the poles of the planet. What is the lure going to the Arctic and the Antarctic? Well, it's, it's undiscovered parts of the world. I mean, so few people have been to the South Pole or the North Pole and, and let alone both. So for me, um, once you've been to every country in the world, the, to challenge yourself, I mean, why not go to the ends of the earth, right? So right. for the South Pole, um, you know, so few people, like in the dozens of people who aren't scientists have been there in, in history. And uh, for me to, to reach that at 9,300 feet altitude at 90 degrees south was just the apex of my travel career. I've never experienced anything like it, not just in terms of minus 63 degrees, but um, it was just an incredible feeling and to, to visit South Pole Station and to be where Amundsen and Scott died going to or Shackleton never made. It was just in, in, an amazing feeling of accomplishment and inspiration. And the North Pole uh, was equally as awesome, just in a different way, because it really taught me a lot about global warming and drifting sea ice and yeah. how, excuse me, how the poles are, are melting as we uh, move ahead. Uh, what with, did you with see that, that showed you that? So when you go, you, you go with scientists and they kind of give you history lessons and they show you how the thickness of the ice has deteriorated from like four or five meters thick to, you know, one to two meters thick. And that's just in the last couple of decades. So, I mean, you're talking 50 to 75% uh, thinner ice, which is an obvious um, uh, thing because of global warming. Sure. And I got to ask, how did you have the wardrobe to survive (laughs) minus 65 degree weather? So they, uh, when you do it, obviously there's a lot of safety precautions and it's, it's not cheap. I'll just say that, but they give you a checklist of, uh, things that you have to buy and, uh, they provide to you the, the, the puffy pants and the puffy coat, but everything else that you have to buy. Um, and it's, it's a lot and, but it's necessary. I mean, you've never experienced that kind of cold before, so you just do what they tell you. So you're mostly covered up. I would think what parts of you are open to the air any? I mean, I would think you have goggles on. Probably not even your eyes are are uncovered. Yeah, you have ski goggles on, basically, or uh, special uh, sunglasses. But then you also uh, have exposure on your face. Huh. So, I mean, that's really the only real exposure you have for any bit of time. And you might take your gloves off for a minute just to be able to take photos or something like that. But everything else is completely covered. Wow. We are speaking with Lee Abamanti, who was the youngest man to ever go to every country on earth. You could read more about that at leeabamanti.com. And you led tours to the ends of the earth, right? For a while. Are those going to come back? I, I was, yes, I was a part of uh, a group that organized tours to uh, the South Pole, which was uh, both a business for me and also just, you know, because I love doing it. And, uh, yeah, it's going to come back. Uh, COVID hasn't gone to Antarctica, thank God, at least that we know of at this point. And there's so few people down there um, that uh, it would be much easier to control um, who goes in and out than anywhere else. So I, I think they'll come back and there's always going to be a market for it because now it's just such a, a big ticket item that um, it, it's on the radar of a lot of uh, wealthy people around the world. Right. And I guess it's probably a COVID free zone. <laughs> you don't have to worry about catching it. Exactly. I, I think. Uh, so, Lee, a lot of our listeners 
have the travel urge. But for many Americans right now, that's going to mean traveling within the United States. That's most people are taking road trips. What are you, what are some of your top places to go in the U.S.? Now, I love I love traveling in America. I've been to all 50 states and every national park in America. And I, I think that some of my favorite road trips have been in the U.S. My favorite region is probably the southwest of America. Like anything around Four Corners, I think, is just the most beautiful part of America, with the exception of uh, Alaska and then the Pacific Northwest, I also think is just absolutely incredible. So those would probably be my, my top recommendations uh, to people for doing road trips. It's incredible how much you can see in like, say, a week or whatever, and things you didn't even know were there, like roadside attractions, you know, Route 66 kind of things. And it's just so much in America. Sometimes we forget how great our country is to to visit as well. Yeah. Give us your favorite roadside attraction. Oh, man. Uh, there's so many weird ones. I mean, you got like the world's like largest thermometer. Like there's like the, the world's really? largest ball of twine, just like random, random stuff. Um, can I, what people, I like can, in, in this coronavirus era, can people get their temperature taken at the world's <laughs> largest thermometer or no? I don't think you could get it uh, in your mouth or wherever because it's like 20 feet tall or something. But, um, uh, you know, for me, I love, uh, I, this is weird, but I love beef jerky. And if you travel out west, there's all these like random weird jerky shops all huh. over the side of the road in like Arizona and Nevada and Utah and places like that. So I love stopping at, at those places and getting some really weird flavored beef jerky to eat on my road trips. I know that you, like me, actually, I actually once wrote a guidebook to Las Vegas. We're both aficionados of that town and know a lot about it. What do you like about Vegas and the surrounding areas? I'm glad you asked. I love Las Vegas. And when people hear me say that, they're like, oh, you must be a big gambler or like to party or like whatever. And I always tell them it's actually the exact opposite. I love Vegas because, number one, they have the best restaurants in America. I'll just say that because they have the best of New York, L.A., Miami, Chicago, that type of thing. But that said, uh, in Las Vegas itself, there's so many amazing things that you can do, like flying in a fighter jet to, to racing like Maseratis, Lamborghinis and Ferraris uh, on world class uh, racing tracks to, to driving heavy equipment like bulldozers and steamrollers and things like that, like things you would never normally do. Right. Yeah. There's a there's a uh, course where you get to pick up huge items with a backhoe and other big equipment. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. And like normal people can't just do that on the streets of New York, right? So it's, well, it's, it's a pretty cool place where you can do a lot of things you would never do. And uh, Las Vegas is is a valley, right? So it's surrounded by mountains and it's, it's situated in a place where you're about two hours from five different national parks, some amazing state, par- state parks like yeah. Valley of Fire State Park in sure. Nevada, which is incredible. It should be a national park. And places like Page, Arizona, where you can see Antelope Canyon, uh, Horseshoe Bend, and things like that. Yeah, or no, Navajo it's Nation, really, Monument it's, Valley. Yeah, it's amazing. Well, it's been such a pleasure. We have been speaking with Lee Abomanti. You can go to his website, leeabomanti.com, to learn his entire story. Lee, I hope you're going to be able to hit the road again soon. Thank you so much for having me, guys. It's a pleasure to talk to you anytime.
Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And as I said at the top of this hour, we are spending our time interviewing some of the world's great travelers. Our next guest falls into that category. She is Ayan Halliday. Uh, she is a wonderful travel writer. She's all, She also writes a zine, which I'll ask her to tell us about, uh, and has had many other types of writing. Uh, welcome to the travel show, or back to the travel show, Ayan. Nice to speak with Thank you. Thank you. It's nice to be back. Thank you for having me. So for, if people want to read your more recent writings, and, and we should say that she has a great travel book out called No Touch Monkey. But for more recent writings, what do people look at? Well, what I'm doing mostly right now is um, writing for a website called Open Culture, which is a guide to the best free educational and cultural media on the web. Mm. And I'm working on a book that will be out next year called The Small Potato Manifesto. It's about keeping your self-respect and your confidence and your happiness level up as an artist. Oh, that's important nowadays. Recognition, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, in your life as a travel writer, I think you subscribe to the same point of view that I did, which is my job is to make every single mistake in the book so I can write about it and my readers won't have to go down those paths. Would, would you say that that's, that's your modus operandi too? It became that, yeah. When I first started traveling and making all those mistakes, I was an actor, so I wasn't thinking that it would turn into a book. But um, yeah, I've uh, definitely, I made a lot of mistakes. Well, you made some whoppers. Uh, it, it, you <laughs> you actually got very injured in certain places uh, in the world. Uh, tell us, tell us about about some of some of your biggest mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, often they were personality driven, mm-hmm. and um, I traveled with a series of boyfriends. The last one of whom became my husband. And when I think about them, all of their personalities were much more reticent, more sensible, more hesitant. And I would just be insisting that we um, take these risks or do these wild things. Um, We were, my husband, at the time, boyfriend Greg and I were in Bukatingi. Where is Bukatingi? Sumatra? Sumatra? That's in Sumatra, yeah. And, you know, we we didn't really have an agenda any day. Um, it's this hill town, and we met this enterprising teenager who was like, I'll take you to see the flying foxes. And I had mm. never thought of that as something that I would want to do, but it was something to do. So we went to see the flying foxes. And now, before us, we go, go any further, hmm. what are flying foxes? <laughs> well, as best I can tell, they're great big bats. Um, Ah, But we got to the edge of this sort of this gorge and um, there were trees down in the valley and sticking out that we could sort of see. I also have really crummy eyesight and always have. (laughs) Me too. That (laughs) might be why we we both make so many mistakes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's because we can't see 2020. (laughs) But um, the trees have these things that look like big black fruit hanging from them and then they weren't doing anything and we're waiting and I'm waiting to see a fox like sailing across the sky in front of me nothing's happening and the teenager probably worried that you know we were going to be disappointed and wander away and he wouldn't make his tip 
clapped his hands really quickly and loud, and the trees just erupted with these flying creatures. Wow. And it was so startling that I fell. I lost my balance, and I fell down into the gorge. Wow. And I dislocated my knee, which was an injury that had happened in high school as well. And suddenly I'm like laying down at the bottom of a gorge. My skirt is over my head. (laughs) They're picking their way down to me. The teenager is getting much added value out of this day because my skirt is over my head. And um, at that point, too, he was kind of done with us. Like, mm. you know, he he did not want this on his head. And we didn't know what to do. There was one um, there was one Western hotel in town. We weren't staying in it for sure. We were <laughs> staying with this nice older couple that had a, a guest house. And, um, you know, I was determined we were going to stay. We were going to finish everything. And I really couldn't walk. Like oh. I was crawling to the pit toilet. Every oh my night. goodness! And I was scared of the dark. I mean, like, was there? Sure was there? What did you do? For, was there a doctor you could see? I mean, well, I have no idea. Yeah, what the... we tried. Um, we went to the Western Hotel seeking a doctor, thinking like if anybody you know would be able to kind of deal with this orthopedic injury, maybe it would be here. And um. I think it was the concierge or somebody at the hotel who obviously didn't want the dirty backpackers in their hotel lobby. It wasn't a good look for their brand. It's like, (laughs) yeah, we don't have anyone who can help you. And I don't think you want anyone sticking a needle in your knee to drain off fluid, not in this town. Yeah. So, um, but it was, you know, after about a week of laying there, during which Greg was running around with all the teenagers in town and um, <laughs> bought me a cane at the lobby, which I, at the market. And um, the teenagers were really interested in the cane because, unbeknownst to us, it had a hidden knife inside it. And they oh, wow. demonstrated that. <laughs> um, <laughs> there was another man, an Australian who was living in a village that was about a half an hour away by motorbike. And uh, he was studying an indigenous martial art with the father of this family. Once a week, he would come into town, stay at the guest house where we were saying, see a Kung Fu movie and pick up his mail. So while he was there, he had heard that there was this injured traveler. And he said, well, I could, uh, you know, I know a guy back in the village who always fixes me up. Wow. When the father of this family beats me up in a martial arts tournament. <laughs> and I'll, so I'll that's how him. you finally got fixed. Wow. We have yeah. to take, what a story. We have to take a break, but we'll be back with more stories from the wonderful Ayun Halliday, author of No Touch Monkey. Don't turn that dial. Welcome back to the Fromer Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And also on the line is Ayan Halliday. She is the author of a terrific book of, of travel memoir called No Touch Monkey. I got to ask you, why is it called No Touch Monkey? 
Oh, that's based on a sign that I saw um, in the monkey forest in Oberlitz. And um, I think there are a lot of such signs that are geared towards Western travelers who maybe, you know, they might not be native English speakers, but English is a language that a lot of travelers speak. Um, but often the people who are making the signs don't speak it or don't right. speak it fluently. So. I got to tell you, my husband and I, on our honeymoon, we were in Bali as well as a couple of other places. And we went through that monkey forest and we thought it'd be fun. My husband totally freaked out because th- those monkeys are aggressive. They, they yeah, come that's after the reason you. not to touch them. Yeah, I actually, <laughs> I, I, found, um, I found the actual full text of the sign, which is for your enjoyment and safety, please observe the following indication. Do not touch or tease the monkey as the bee may react with unpredictable manners. Forbidden fed to the monkeys, supposing you have some food for them, please leave to our monkeys expert. If there is no (laughs) monkeys expert with you, toss the food to them from a safe distance. (laughs) Now, I know when you were in Bali, you did one of the classic things you do in Bali. One of the reasons you go to Bali is the people there are really open and loving, actually, about including visitors in their important rituals, whether it be the funeral processions you can see going down the road, which are like the most elaborate parades ever, or their weddings. And you were invited to a wedding, which led to a big mishap, right? Yes, I was absolutely thrilled, of course, but I had lucked into being invited to a wedding. Um, I had read uh, Ring of Fire, which was the big book about Indonesia that I think was also a television series. So that's how I knew all this stuff um, about it. And I was like, if I can't get to a funeral, wow, a wedding's a really great thing. And um, I had met a man just like out in the rice field somewhere and he we were he was practicing his English with me and then he said, Oh, well, there's a village nearby, there's a big wedding celebration, you should go. So I went. Nothing was really happening during the daytime. You know, it felt kind of weird to be there. Sure. And not yeah. really know what was happening and not know who the bride and groom were. And then I met another man, and he's like, oh, we'll come back at midnight, because that's when things will really be happening, and there's going to be a shadow puppet show, so you don't want to miss that. And I for sure did not want to miss that. (laughs) Um, I could not convince the boyfriend that I was traveling with that he didn't want to miss it. So, you know, right around midnight, I set out by myself, and I'm walking through the rice paddies, and I have this little inadequate flashlight with me. And again, for someone who was often scared of the dark, I don't know what business I had thinking that I was going to go walk across a log over a stream that I had oh. barely been brave enough to cross earlier. I was going to do it at midnight. And I'm walking along and I'm walking along and then I hear a growl. Ooh. And then I hear another growl. And I, I assume it's still the same way is that there are a lot of um, unspoken for dogs in Bali and um, they can have the run of the place. They're not pets. Um, And I'm sure I have an imperfect understanding of what they are, but I think they're supposed to be in communication with the demons a little bit. Maybe they are demons. Um, They eat the offerings that are set out for the demons every day. There's these beautiful offerings that are set out for the gods, but the demons just get a scoop of rice on a piece of, um, a, a piece of a leaf on the ground and they eat them. Wow. And uh, they're a nuisance. 
and the local people will sometimes throw a stone at them or pretend to throw a stone at them. But I was really by myself and I was like, wow, there's a whole pack of them. And they were on either side of me growling. (laughs) I'm amazed we're talking to you today. So what did any of them attack? Uh, Well, I was (laughs) sitting there shaking. Um, Also wondering if I should call out for help, but embarrassed to do that, uh, you know, and um, unsure if that would trigger them to jump down on me. And then suddenly one of them did jump down and he stood right in front of me, like five feet away. And it was like this standoff. I had no idea what to do. And then suddenly I just started backing away. I was trying to think of everything I'd ever been told of like, if you encounter a bear, Mm. which not too many bears to encounter in Chicago. Right. <laughs> um, and I just, I backed up and I ba- I feel like I must have backed up for at least half a mile. I was afraid to turn my back and then finally I did get away from him. Wow. But yeah, it's just another stupid thing that I did. And, you so know, you never got ways, to the wedding, huh? I never got to the wedding. Uh, yeah. I wonder if I mean, it seems so odd that it, it was happening at midnight. <laughs> I, I wonder if the guy was telling you the truth. I guess you'll never know. Yeah, he might have been playing me really good. Um, Who knows? Who knows? We have to take another break, uh, but don't turn that dial. We have been talking with Aeon Halliday, and we'll, we'll finish up with her after these commercial messages. They'll be over quickly, I promise. We'll be right back. It's time for the final segment for this hour of the Travel Show, the Fromer Travel Show. We thank you so much for listening. We've had our guest, Aeon Halliday, on. She has a terrific book of travel tales called No Touch Monkey. And I've been ever asking almost every guest this for the last five weeks because we're in a period where not many people are traveling. What do you think is the importance of travel? Should people get back to it? What, what's your opinion? Yeah, I think people, particularly young people, should do it. I I feel strongly that every American, every kid in the world, when they turn 18, should go to a place by themselves that's so different from the place they live. And, you know, if it's somebody who's coming from a privileged background, mm. They should go far away from that. They should live in discomfort. They should live with or live with or near people who have a very different way of being with their families. You know, if everybody lives in one room and the door is a garage type of door that rolls up and rolls down and right. the baby is the most important person in the family, I think that's really, really important. And, uh, you know, if I could vote for anything to be subsidized, it would be so that every teenager or person in their very early 20s gets a chance to travel and have some of the scales pulled off their eyes or Mm -hmm. have some doors open to them that they didn't even know were in the wall. Yeah, beautiful. Absolutely. That way they know to be grateful for what they have. Uh, and, and, yes. and to treat the world as neighbors rather than enemies. Right? Yes, yes. Not everybody lives the same way you do. People have 
perspectives that you might disagree with, but they come by those perspectives honestly, usually. Yeah, absolutely. There's always so much talk out there. They don't like American values. They don't like freedom. And that's nonsense. That has nothing to do yeah, with why people have different values than we do. Well, we've been speaking with Ayun Halliday. I highly recommend her wonderful travel memoir book called No Touch Monkey. I also recommend that you visit us during the week. As I said at the beginning of this hour, at fromers.com, which is our website, we have a plethora of fun to read, helpful information, whether you're trying to get a refund from a travel company or whether you want to learn about the history or the culture or the cuisine of another part of the world. Uh, we have articles telling you about the best Zoom backgrounds that you could put up behind you from travel sites all around the world. Uh, we have articles on the interesting ways different destinations are reopening to travel it so you know what to expect when you go places and discounts that are out there for people who are hitting the road and how to do it safe safely so you're not infecting anyone else or not putting yourself in danger we thank you so much for listening to the fromer travel show i travel want to say to everyone a hearty bon voyage